This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. And an experiment continues today to see if Coloradans with very different political views can find common ground. We call it breaking bread because we do this around a dinner table with homemade soup and bread. We figure people will be more amenable with full stomachs. Our first episode was in May, and everyone is back. Well, how is the soup this time? Delish. Mm-hmm. The cumin was wonderfully done, not too overdone. The cauliflower was done just perfectly. The tomato came in. I could, I could yep, sense yep. the tomato. In the first gathering, we touched on the presidential election, health care, climate change, and national service. Let's introduce you once again to our dinner guests. Mehdi Khan of Aurora supported Bernie Sanders, but ended up voting green. He's the only Muslim in the group. So it's important, especially in this era with you know this president, to sit down with our fellow Americans and dispel a lot of ignorance that may be there. Mehdi, how do you think your faith shapes your political views? It plays a huge role in our religion. We're taught that humans, the sole purpose of their creation was to be the vice regent of God on earth, to care not only for other human beings, but for the environment and for animals as well. So that's why I lean towards the Green Party. I feel green for environment. Sandy Russell is the eldest member of our group. She's from Palmer Lake, south of Denver. She is proud of her military family, and she voted and campaigned for Donald Trump. Last time, Russell expressed this about the previous administration. My country was all the social changes. It was just, I had never lived through anything like that. And I really didn't Mm -hmm. know what was going to happen Mm -hmm. to my Christian religion or what was going to happen to all of the religions, you know, be it, you know, Catholicism, what have you. Because things were, were just changing so quickly. And I was starting to be fearful because I was a white woman. Sandy, what's happened to that level of fear now that we're further into the Trump administration? I'm feeling more comfortable because uh, the direction we're taking is more aligned with my belief and my experiences, and uh, I'm feeling much more at ease about my country. What makes you comfortable? Give me an example of something. Well, going to religion... I was reading where our president is already saying, hey, it's perfectly all right to say Merry Christmas rather than Happy Holidays and changing and all of that stuff. And that's very comforting to me. Do you think you'll say Merry Christmas more often this year? Uh, I always said it before, so I'll probably (laughs) just continue to say it. Kalinas Newsom, who's African-American, had to miss our last gathering, but uh, she's at our table now. Newsom voted for Hillary Clinton, and she says this past election shocked her. And uh, Kalinas, why did you come to our table? Um, I had an opportunity to listen to the previous broadcast and was really um, inspired, I think, by the stories that I heard at the table, but then also felt like there was a voice missing and certainly um, excited to be able to add that level and that layer. What do you want to get out of tonight? Mm, I I think the current political climate still has me a little shocked, but I, and I'll just, I'm just going to be transparent and candid. I had a wonderful conversation with with Sandy, and I think we have more in common. Um, She's inspired me to possibly teach 
abroad at some point when I'm older. But you've only been together for a half hour. But we, we probably talked lot. for about twenty minutes. Wow! Even yeah. before the, the 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 tape was rolling. Yeah. And I I just think there's more that brings us together than that brings us apart. I agree uh, completely. And you look at us and say. Well, how can that be? Our uh, beginnings in, in life and in, in our, uh, you know, our communities were very much alike. And our experiences, very much alike. Yep. Karina Gaylord lives in Arvada and voted for Trump. She's a small business owner who followed in her mother's footsteps. Probably the, the biggest influence in my life was my mom. She was a single mom. My parents divorced when I was six. And she... Uh, raised my brother and myself, you know, pretty much for 10 years on her own. And her brother, Brian Pacini, joins us again as well. He lives in Denver and voted for Hillary Clinton. At our last discussion, you and your sister talked about the tension around the dinner table during the 2016 election. I wonder if you guys have talked politics since you last left our breaking bread table. Last weekend. <laughs> yeah, but it's, we don't talk as much. Yeah. Especially in our weekly dinners with uh, the kids, they pretty much enforce the rule that we can't talk politics at the table. Um, they're pretty adamant about it. But it sounds like it came up, Karina. Yeah. It comes up. How so? Was it yeah. around healthcare again? I think that's yeah. always the... Yeah, healthcare always sparks part. me to get on my soapbox because I'm, I'm completely done with that issue. Tell so, me more about that. Um, just received a bill in the, in the mail for a urgent care visit for my daughter this summer who I took because she was vomiting and I couldn't get her to stop vomiting was there less than an hour got a $410 visit there were no labs there were no meds given well there was one med given that I probably could have given her over the counter that was $40 right now we're paying $1,400 a month and I think that is absolutely ridiculous Annette Gonzalez is back she lives in public housing in Pueblo and is raising several grandchildren on her own Gonzalez voted for Trump uh, nobody wanted to stand up and say they were a Trump supporter, especially around here, you know. But I found that when I was brave enough to admit that I supported Trump and why, I found a lot of other people were secret Trump supporters. Annette, you were undecided at points before the election. How are you feeling right now about your vote for Trump? I feel like my vote wasn't wasted. I feel like he's done a lot that the mainstream media doesn't focus on. I think he brought the insurance issue out in to the light of day, and it's an awful situation. And even though me and my children, grandchildren, are covered by Medicaid, I feel like I only use it when I absolutely have to. I use the well children clinics. I use anything else that might be free because I'm mindful that there's a lot of people that have to pay for that. Now, since our gathering, another Republican proposal to repeal and replace Obamacare has emerged. And like previous ones, it would make significant cuts to Medicaid. I asked Gonzalez to square her reliance on Medicaid with her support for Trump. Yeah, it is kind of a strange situation. Um, But at the moment, I'm only using the Medicaid temporarily, working towards getting off of it so that it won't affect me if they make a bunch of cuts. And finally, Adam Brock, you live in Denver and became something of a mediator during our last dinner. You talked about the idea of living in a bubble Are you in any less of one now than you were uh, when you last came to our table? Uh, Only because I'm sitting around these fine folks. No, otherwise, I I think, you know, in my day-to-day life, 
I'm still around the the same kind of people who mostly we complain about the same things on the news and and all voted the same way. Well, since our last discussion, a lot has happened in the country, or not happened. Congress struggles still with what to do about Obamacare. Natural disaster has ravaged parts of the country. Racism boiled over in Charlottesville, Virginia. There's talk of major tax reform. And uh, the Supreme Court is about to meet with the new justice that Trump nominated, Colorado Neil Gorsuch. Uh, What do you want to ask someone in the group who has a different political view from yours? Uh, I'm, you already asked uh, Annette this, but, but I'm also curious for the other folks who voted for Trump, if they're feeling any differently now than they were the last time we all got together about how you feel like the direction he's leading the country and, and Congress and all that. I think they ought to leave him alone for a minute and, and start recognizing some stuff he really is doing. You know, there's no coverage of that. It's just the, the negative... You know, it's like they're not giving him a fair chance to do what it is that we elected him to do. And there's no respect anymore just for the office itself. You know, being president of the United States, there's no respect for that anymore. I mean, I think he's interesting to watch. You know, that's for sure. That hasn't changed. Um, But I think for being, you know, what are we in September? And this all started in January. He, you know, he's trying. And I think he's, I don't think there's any other person that could have done what he's done uh, with the opposition. The other thing, too, is with what I keep seeing in the media, it just makes me think that the system is so corrupt, so corrupt, and it's just becoming more and more blatant. Now, Karina, you mentioned the media there, and then you talked about the system being corrupt. Will you just uh, say a bit more about what you mean? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's corrupt. I think it's becoming more and more obvious. The politicians are in the back, you know, they've got the corporations in their back pockets, you know, and he's fighting that. And, um, I want to see I want to see more of the good things that he's done, but I th- I think it, it gets shadowed by you know them not wanting to show that they have a different agenda, and there's no way any other politician would have been able to deal with what he's had to deal with. And, and to those who say that Trump has brought many of those Washington insiders into his own circle, that is the promise to drain the swamp. Uh, was not fulfilled because there are so many Washington insiders in his administration, what do you say? I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I want to see a change. I think the, the American people deserve better. No matter if you would have voted for Bernie Sanders or Trump, you know, we wanted the same thing. I think we're seeing that um, there are corrupt politicians, and we're tired of it. And now it's, it's really starting to affect people. And that's why, you know, Bernie would unfortunately didn't get in. I think his ideas, other than the socialist part for me, were the same thing. We wanted it to be, you know, a lot better than, for people than it is now. Well, speaking of Bernie Sanders, there's someone at our table, Mehdi Khan, who voted, well, would have voted would for have Bernie voted, Sanders, yes. perhaps did so in the primary, I'm not sure. Uh, but you, you've been, I think, jonesing to get in here. Yes, yes. So I, I'm hearing a lot of blame given to the media for President Trump's inability to address any real issues. The reason I voted for Bernie, he actually presented some solutions. He said, okay, well, we want to give universal health care. And look, there's this website you go to. It'll show you how much of your paycheck will go to it. So there were solutions that were presented. President Trump he keeps saying that there's issues with our health care system because President Obama passed it, but he didn't present any concrete plan or solution. I would be the first to back 
a repeal of Obamacare if you could give me a better uh, replacement for it. The problem is the entire campaign of President Trump was based on promises with no real concrete roadmap or plan. As somebody who's running for such a high office, you would expect that he would speak with some wisdom, you know, and you could see that he has none of that. He has no tact at all. On his mind isn't the safety and security of the people of this country. It is ratings and his popularity. And from that, you can gauge that he doesn't care about the layman on the street who can't pay his medical bill because he's not going up against the pharmaceutical companies or the hospitals who price gouge. So that shows me that he's not really serious about addressing any real issues. He's all talk, and that's it. I have a a point here. May I? Sandy. Okay. Uh, This may come as a surprise, but I agree with your first statement, is that... uh, Trump is not following through and not getting moving forward uh, with the health care. However, I respect him and his patience that he has with his own Republicans because it's not Trump. It's the speakers, Ryan and my Kentucky guy, who they're not moving forward. And uh, I think Trump is being more understanding or giving them more latitude than I wish he would. I wish he would put more pressure on his own staff. The the best way to put pressure is to present an actual solution to the problem. If he says, hey, I have this, we've, you know, I've commissioned this study and here's data and this is the solution, this is how much it's going to cost. If he did that, people in the streets would be supporting him and there will be protests supporting him to redo this healthcare system. But we don't have that. But it's those people... It is their job to take that to President Trump. Now, it's wonderful when they dovetail and come together, but I certainly agree that uh, he's having some trouble in his own house. I mean, I think the health care issue is, I agree with Karina, it's a hot mess. Um, I think I see it from a different perspective. Um, my father had a, a, a severe stroke, and watching him, you know, paid into this system all of his life and then having to navigate denials and appeals just seemed barbaric to me. And and quite frankly, um, in that appeal process, had folks on the appeal side say, you know, you've gone a lot further than most people because most people would just give up. And I think that the system is designed to just wear you out. And that's how I felt over the summer. I, I live a very privileged life as an African-American woman I don't have to worry about the healthcare system in the same way that others have to because my, my organization that I work for covers it and I have great benefits, but I do have a pre-existing condition. I have a, an autoimmune disease that if, God forbid, anything catastrophic happened, I would be without coverage. What do you mean to say if something catastrophic happened, you'd be without coverage? If, say, for example, Obamacare was repealed. I mean, the one thing that I like about Obamacare is that it covers, you cannot be denied coverage for pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that that affects a large portion of people in our country. If something catastrophic happened, I lost my job or, you know, something happened, and Obamacare was repealed, that would leave me without coverage or very expensive coverage. My goodness, it sounds like healthcare is top of mind for all of you. Can I just see with a, a show of hands how many of you 
hope that it's an issue the country addresses. Okay, that's all of you. And that's perhaps some common ground, though it may be the routes to that end would be different. Are there others who have questions for folks on the panel? I do. I, I think the, the one thing about the, the conversation around um, Donald Trump that is just disgusting is the race question. And I, I just cannot seem to um, understand as a country and as an African-American woman, and I want to, I want to understand. What would you like to know? I, there's not, a part, there's not a single part of me that thinks anybody in this room hates me because I'm black. There's, let me just put that out there. But I do think there's this sense of, well, because you're, you're black, you, you think you're entitled to something or you think that we, you're owed something. And I don't feel that way. Do I look at Sandy and say that Sandy hates me because I'm like her, her support of Trump? Like, no, I don't. But I would hope that you would understand that some of what he's, he's saying has, his intent may be one thing, but the impact that he's had has been profound. Like, it, it hurts me to see that there are people out there marching with tiki torches. That, I just don't want to believe that there are people out there that really think that way. I don't see that as the administration. That's a bunch of uh, rabid, uh, crazy people that Trump has no control over. He can't help who supports him, you know, and who shows up at the at the rallies. This so. is this is kind of my problem with Trump's response. It wasn't strong enough. He said there was bad people on both sides. He said that you know there was good people on both sides. He should have condemned it. It was wrong. There's no way in, in American history that we should allow uh, KKK and Nazis to have a voice like that and not condemn it as the president. And he didn't. He didn't condemn it. And that, that's the issue. Karina, Adam, I'd love your perspectives on this. Oh, I think it's really sad. And I also think probably in the last 10 years, it's changed. You know, I, I, th- I and I, I heard Trump on, I don't know, different things that I watch that are, are credible news sources that he was against it. And so, you know, it, was he against it enough? I don't know, but he said he, d- he was against it. Period. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like David Duke. He doesn't want to have any association with him. Okay, so it's done. Let's move on. Um, instead, it just kind of keeps getting brought up again. Like he didn't. He was in support of it. Uh, to me, he wasn't. But you know, the other thing too is the people that are the violent protesting that is going on. Whatever side it is, that is wrong. That's what he's made a point of saying. You know that, and and I agree with that. Um, but I, you know, I don't quite understand kind of what has happened here either. I mean, I have lots of friends, lots of friends of color. I was married in the Unitarian Church, so I, I embrace Pretty all liberal re- church. very liberal church. I embrace all religions. I don't care what color you are. I will be friends with you if you have a disability. I don't, I don't quite understand why we've stepped back. That's what I don't understand. I feel like, you know, gosh, we just got through with having a black president, and we're more divided than we've ever been. Adam. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think we probably all feel like we've stepped back and we're all mystified, right? And that's probably why we're, why we're all here. But Is that true? Does everyone feel like we've stepped back? I agree. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Sandy, what do you think? Just ch- challenging Adam's assumption. Well, I'm mystified by we're a country of law, and we have this one group coming in and protesting. We have this other group coming in and protesting. Now, we say 
you have the right to protest, but you don't have the right to hurt other people. You don't have the right to put hands on other people. You don't have the right to break up property and all that. But it appears that our law enforcement kind of stepped back and watched these two uh, vicious groups do things that were just totally harmful, and that mystifies me. So where is that coming from? Why, why are we allowing these groups to go beyond your right to speak? I, I, don't, I, I think violence is just, it should just, we should just squash it. I think there are other ways to, to protest. I, I do think it's, it's a little, it's concerning to me because I, I, I personally, um, I'm, I'm a little scared. I'll be honest. Like, I, I think that, and I think everybody at the table could say, that that being a white lady because now it's not okay to be white. I dis- um, dis- disagree white with that. men get attacked a lot. I mean, not to say one group gets any more than another, but for the first time in my 52 years, I watch and uh, see the looks that I get and things like that and the way that I'm treated in certain circumstances. And it is frightening. I've never had to worry about that before. But what, but I, what I wanted to get back to is what you were saying earlier, Kalinas, and, and your question, Karina, about wh- why are we going backwards, or I thought, you know, we, we elected a black president, I thought we were past this, and I don't feel like it's just the job of people of color to speak up for themselves, and it's just the job of women to speak up for themselves, and so as someone who is white and a man, and a lot of people are hating on white men, right, these days, um, but I also understand that it's like my responsibility to listen to where people like Kalinas are coming from and, and understand the pain that they feel in everyday situations that I never have even had to pay attention to. For me, it's, I, I'm like, okay, I, I have to own what's my stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so if I walk into a room and I, I look at Karina and I'm like, she hates me because I'm, I mean, that's my stuff. I got to own that. Now, I will say, having parents from the Deep South, um, yeah, like, it's it's real. And my parents worked super hard to ensure that their kids didn't have to go through what they went through. And I have to step back and remember that a lot of what I see is like systemic and it's not just affecting me as a person of color, it's affecting everybody. I think the thing that bothers me the most is just our inability to sort of see each other, one as human beings, but to recognize that there's a real experience, whether you've had it or not, um, doesn't make it less so. If I walk in a room and some one of my white friends or coworkers said to me that they experienced what you experienced, I would be like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like, really? Um, you're, you're talking to Annette there, who said Annette that about, she now thinks about her whiteness. Yeah, because in my in my view, white women in America, it's like an elevated status, like the untouchable. And so it really. I live in the projects. Well, that's different. That's a different. That's a different I'm context, from the holler. right? If you live in. You're from rural, the hollers, you yeah. say. Sandy. Yeah, I mean that's eye-opening for me. That that's like wow. I didn't even really think that white women actually thought about <clears throat> whiteness the way that I think about my black. Only because they've made it an issue recently. White guys in America nowadays, it's a dirty word, and it used to be the backbone of our country. D- I really have to get in on this. Uh, So the issue here, there's a dichotomy in how we view race and privilege. So Mm -hmm. when you look at President Trump, he has supporters who are neo-Nazis. But somehow when there's blame for hatred, it goes back to President Obama. 
if President Obama had, you know, militant African Americans who wanted to send Caucasians back to Europe, supporting him out in droves, and he came out, if there was violence, and he came out and said both sides were wrong, would there be a difference in how the folks here respond? Or would it be the same, that, oh, no, he, he condemned it, he condemned it? He would there be minutes. support? No, he'd be he'd be kicked out of office. So this is essentially what Black Lives Matter protests. They protest that people are so offended that Colin Kaepernick will take a knee. But when innocent black kids are gunned down in the street or Philando Castile, perfectly normal father, has a legal license to carry, is gunned down, NRA silent, that's okay. Why? So Black Lives Matter is fighting for to be recognized as equal human beings. Not all black people support Black Lives Matter. I, I'm still trying to figure out, exact, like, tell me exactly what your mission and vision is. For me, when I see young black men in school with their pants hanging down, not going to class, I'm like, Black Lives Matter in both contexts. Either we as a community come together and have a, a serious conversation about how we are talking to our young men and women of color to value education, to value community, to work, then then we can have the other conversation that says there's a system out there that also you need to be aware of. That is Kalinas Newsom of Denver, who voted for Clinton. She's one of seven Coloradans helping us search for political middle ground in the series we call Breaking Bread. Earlier, another dinner guest, Mehdi Khan, mentioned Philando Castile, who's black and was killed last year in Minnesota by a police officer. Khan said the NRA was silent on the killing. In fact, this summer, an NRA spokesperson called it absolutely awful. Race, religion, politics, topics a lot of people avoid at the dinner table. But we take them on in our series Breaking Bread. Coloradans from across the political spectrum sit down over homemade soup and bread to see if they can find middle ground. We last gathered in May, and everyone agreed to come back for more. Listening to this conversation in the background is a mediator named Mark Gerzon. He lives in Boulder and has worked with Congress. Gerzon is the author of Leading Through Conflict and the Reunited States of America. He has an exercise for the group, one you can do too. But first, I asked Gerzon why he got into this line of work. Well, this group gathered for Breaking Bread really illustrates it, which is I feel people are fundamentally connected. Kalinas and Sandy were talking about feeling connected, but something is dividing us against each other. And I grew up in a family where my parents divorced, and so I got curious at a very early age, what is it that divides us? And I'm particularly interested in that on a political level now, even though I was trained as a family therapist originally, And I want to do an exercise about why do people who are fundamentally connected, why do we get divided? And why is it getting increasingly predictable? Hmm. And then you bring them together around soup and bread at the Colorado Public Radio Station and suddenly, oh, we really like each other and we've connected. And I've seen this in country after country. People get connected and then governments divide them. And your exercise reflects that. It's on an issue that you brought up during our last Breaking Bread gathering about climate change. Tell us about this exercise, Mark. I'd be glad to, but I want to say that although we're going to be talking about climate change, we could have done the same thing on health care. We could have done the same thing on guns. We could do the same thing on immigration. So for those of you who are thinking, oh, I'd rather talk about something else, we're really talking about any issue. You are passing out some papers now, and these papers seem to have two options on them. 
Yeah, basically you all are being given by our political system two options on climate change right now. And I'd like you to take a look at them. And I'm going to ask you, as the political system does, which do you agree with? All right. A is climate change is a hoax at worst or incomplete science at best, and it should be ignored. So that's option A. Uh, Mark, read option B. It's the greatest threat to humanity, and our government should make fighting climate change its highest priority. All right. So I'm presented with these two options on this piece of paper. I I guess what you're saying is this is often what we're presented with in society. More or less, that's what the two major parties are giving you as a choice. We're getting a lot of nods, yes. And I'd like to ask all of you, how does that feel? When you look at those two choices... Why do we only get two? Because then you're forced into some uncomfortable zone you don't want to be in. Exactly. Exactly. They're extremes. I don't think the second one's an extreme, but... Pentagon came out and said basically B. They said the greatest threat to national security is, is climate change. So we have one person who says he's comfortable with one of the choices. Is there anybody else who's really comfortable with one of the choices is, oh, I could, with peace in my heart and a great sense of satisfaction, I could pick A or I could pick B. So the, the, just in response to what you're saying. This is Medi. The issue here is because it's an extreme, you have to look at the repercussions of what choosing an extreme choice would be. It's saying make it the highest priority. Well, what will making the highest priority entail? That means we have to sacrifice something. What will we have to sacrifice? And then you have to make a choice. So that's why initially I would not go for an extreme. You're saying that if you see it as the greatest threat to humanity and the government should make fighting climate change its highest priority, other things might be sacrificed? Exactly. Like there what? will have to be sacrifices, right? There, there's always a balance in whatever your choice you're trying to so, look at. So, Mehdi, you're saying you're not comfortable with either of those choices, really? No, I'm not. And is there anybody else who's saying, yeah, I'm really not comfortable with either one of them? Yeah, I'm totally not comfortable. I just think we got to be good stewards of the resources we have. And, you know, I do my part to ensure that... My kids are recycling and different things like that. But what I am I losing sleep over the climate? Not really. Karina, but, I imagine your brother is losing sleep over climate change. What do you think of these? <laughs> what, do, what do you think of these two she options? She did this to me, like. <laughs> no, um, we've had talks about this. I, th- I think Maddie's right. Mm-hmm. These are too extreme. Is there climate change? There always has been climate change. But it's common sense that you take care of your environment, mm-hmm. but it doesn't need to be the extremes like Sandy? these are. Well, this is one of the things where I think many of us can really come together. And I always think of uh, creationists and evolutionists. And it seems that those are very extreme. And then the religion, you know, comes in there. But whether we are a creationist or evolutionist, we are all wanting to be good stewards for our planet, this planet that we live on. Thank you. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to hear that we all want to take care of our planet, but what I worry about is how we come to agreement about how we do that. And if there's not a consensus that burning fossil fuels is bad for our planet, then it's going to be hard to make policy decisions about how to care for our planet. I mean, climate change is something that's close to my heart. It it was what got me started being politically engaged in college was when I first started learning about climate change and and set me on the path of sustainability and and starting a nonprofit. And and I, I don't think that, you know, the way sentence B is worded is necessarily conducive to um, a, a good solution because it does imply trade-offs. But what I've found is, you know, I, I used to 
I used to be a finger pointer because I believe so strongly in climate change that I felt that everybody needed to take responsibility and stop doing bad things. And, and I realized that by pointing my finger at people, I was just turning them away. Um, and that what really made them change is giving them an inspiring, positive thing to do that instead of making them feel guilty, had them do the things and live their lives that made them happier, but that also happened to mitigate climate change. Um, and I didn't even have to talk about climate change to do that. Finger pointing isn't a great conversation starter, you're saying, Adam. And, yeah. and, and I, I really appreciate it because when you're given two extreme choices like this, finger pointing is result. Imagine if I said to all of you now, okay, go over into that voting booth and vote for A or B. Well, maybe a couple of you would be willing to vote for A or B. But you're most, almost describing the two-party system, Mark. That's right. And most, <laughs> of you, most of you would say, you know, I really don't want to go over there and vote for A or B. So I would like to pass out another page, and I'd like you to imagine that you didn't have two choices, but that you had three or four or more. And I'd like you to imagine this not only on climate change, which is what we're going to talk about, but imagine if you had that on a number of other issues. I just will say something while you're looking at these sheets, that healthcare is an extremely complicated subject. The notion that either A or B, A extreme, B extreme, is going to solve it, I don't know about you, but when my wife and I have arguments, it's very rare that one of us has the whole truth and nothing but the truth on our side. It's usually a little more complex than that. So imagine if instead of being forced to say A or B, you had A, B, C, and D, and maybe an E. Because what I've noticed, there's seven of you, and you have seven different points of view. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I really feel that some of the divisiveness that's happened in our culture is because we're being forced into A or B. So let's together read through A, B, C and D, and see what they sound like. Four options instead of two. Sandy, would you read A? It's a hoax at worst, or incomplete science at best, and it should be ignored. Brian, what's option B? Prudent, cost-effective, job-creating steps should be taken to reduce the potential negative impacts of climate change. What about C, Annette? There will not be enough progress unless significant legislation and regulation are implemented by the federal government. Kalinas, you want to read D? Sure. It's the greatest threat to humanity, and government should make fighting climate change its highest priority. So just I'm curious if you reflect, are any of you drawn to the new options, and if so, why? Well, you know, what I, what I appreciate is what Adam said about, like, just the level of awareness around, like, fossil fuel. Like, just that little snippet got me thinking about, okay, th there's a part of me that just would like to sit and talk with people about what I can do to move out of that space of like complacency and say okay there are some little things I can do as far as what's on this sheet I wouldn't maybe be because then you'd be creating some jobs and hopefully it would spur additional conversation my guess is that if you and Sandy were to sit together and talk about climate change and let's say one of you was thought it was a really serious threat and one of you didn't my guess is that you'd kind of go well we don't really know do we well, what could we do since we don't really know? Well, let's maybe invest a little more in the green economy and have some more jobs. So in case it's real, we're prepared and we can make some money and have a healthy economy. But if it's wrong, we haven't really made any big mistakes. We've just invested in some new sources of energy, which makes us more independent. So in other words, there's a common ground there that the two of you would probably have a conversation about. Sandy. Is there a purist group or a purist uh, way of thinking about well, where does creation come in with all of this and if we believe 
what I was uh, taught to believe, that a, a higher power created all of our planet that we're living on, and that a higher power is going to take the planet away regardless what we do. That would really be kind of a who would go toward that other way of thinking about climate change. But you could have a creationist point of view, you could have a religious point of view like the Pope does and speak out against climate change and, and really acknowledge the fact that humans are contributing to it. And, I, and you could even pose the question that maybe if God did give us this earth, this is a test. And, and maybe religious people are failing this test because they're not taking care of the earth. They're not agreeing that it's humans that are causing global warming. It's fossil fuels, like Adam mentioned, that contribute to it. And so it's entirely possible within a creationist point of view that we are being set up to kind of fail if we don't address this. God gave us freedom of choice. With freedom comes responsibility. So you have to look at every action will have a reaction. So yes, maybe we'll make it out of it, but probably a lot of people will die in the process. You know, there'll be flooding. You know, Bangladesh might be completely flooded out because of climate change. But humanity is still existing, sure. So, so, so take those highfalutin values and tell me about the, <laughs> the four options on your sheet, Mehdi. As an engineer, I would choose the cost-effective job-creating step, B. Okay. <laughs> can I be honest? Like, Mark, these aren't mutually exclusive. Like, these aren't like... No. No. Why couldn't it be B, C, and D? Like, I don't agree with A, but, like, I'm, I'm okay with B, no. C, and D. Well, it could be. My, the point of this little exercise is that you seem generally, I'm just curious, you seem generally to like more choices. And, sure. and, and if you look at some of the issues, other issues that you care about, one position you're being given is more guns everywhere, the better off it is. If we had guns everywhere, if all of you had a gun in your pocket right now, we'd be safer. The other point of view is there shouldn't be a gun anywhere in this building, no guns at all. Well, those are two extreme points of view, and they're not making our schools safer. They're not making us safer. You can take almost any issue, whether it's immigration or whatever, you're being given two extreme choices. And then you're getting divided, and you're going, well, oh, my gosh, how did we get divided? Well, you're getting divided because you were given two extreme choices and told to pick one of them. And then so, how do you feel about your, your more choices there? Well, um, I believe, of course, more choice is better, um, but there's no downside to creating jobs and, and taking care of our climate. There, there's, so even if we are wrong and then climate change is real, you know, we've taken those steps and, and to... I guess, protect the planet for our kids and grandkids and stuff. Karina, what do you think? Well, to me, I mean, I don't like to be put in a box. <laughs> and that's kind of what this is. And that's, I, but you, you I are put in a box on election day, right? The, the voting box. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, when it, to me, you know, a big part of the reason why I voted for what I voted is because of my freedoms. I don't want those to be limited. You voted for President Trump. Correct. Karina Gaylord there of Arvada. This is Breaking Bread from Colorado Matters, where Coloradans with very different political views eat together and see where they might agree. Mediator Mark Gerzon of Boulder also joins us this time. I want to throw in a little perspective here on climate change. As you heard, several of our dinner guests are skeptical that humans play a role. But according to the polling firm Gallup, Quote, record percentages of Americans are concerned about global warming, believe it's occurring, consider it a serious threat, and say it is caused by human activity. All of these perceptions are up significantly from 2015. 
Gallup finds 68% of Americans believe humans are mainly responsible. Now, the final part of our conversation with seven Coloradans of different political stripes. We first met them in May when we launched our series Breaking Bread. They all agreed to come back over homemade soup and bread to search for common ground. Three dinner guests voted for Trump, Annette Gonzalez of Pueblo, Sandy Russell of Palmer Lake, and Karina Gaylord of Arvada. Three voted for Clinton, Brian Pacini, Kalinas Newsom, and Adam Brock, all of Denver. And there's a green voter in our midst, Mehdi Khan of Aurora. We've been doing an exercise around the issue of climate change. Our guide is a mediator from Boulder named Mark Gerzon. He's worked with Congress in the past. Gerzon presented the group with two extreme options, that climate change is a hoax or that it's the greatest threat humanity faces. Then he offered up some more nuanced options. I see the point of the exercise, right? Two choices boxes people in for sure. And four choices led to a very interesting conversation because there's actual room for disagreement. And like you were saying, people don't like to be boxed. But Ryan, you pointed out, there is nothing more boxy than being told to go red or blue on everything. And that's my question. What you've presented here is is a lovely exercise, but how is it borne out in the way that we implement policy or debate policy or have a national conversation? It seems in a way that our, our institutions are set up for the former, not the latter. Well, what's going on in this room is revolutionary in the best sense of the word because you're not boxing people into red and blue. You're not seated in red and blue categories. There's seven different people and there's seven different points of view. I think that's America. And I think the problem we're facing now is that on election day, all of you are being herded like cattle into a red line or a blue line. But that's not going to change in the next election. No, but it's starting in this room. It's changing. Because if all seven of you and all the networks you had, if all of you said, wait a minute, I don't want to be boxed in that then you'd start going, well, what what could I get involved in that would give us more choices, that would get us out of the boxes? To have a conversation, which is, are you for Trump or against Trump, is a dead end. Because there's so much richness and beauty and complexity in our culture that to box everybody into for or against Trump or for or against guns or for or against this, that's like um, turning us all into Coke or Pepsi. I would venture to say that the time that we have spent uh, together in the first session, in this session, and we've shared views and uh, we've heard other views and some of them were cringeworthy for us because, like, I've never thought of it like that. But I would venture to say that if we were to vote again, no one's vote has been changed. I was not excited to vote for Hillary Clinton. I think I was just, I, I wanted to vote. But if I could do it all over again, I think just having conversations with people, like, I probably wouldn't have voted. I mean, that was you're, the you're other saying choice. That's that interesting. choice three is not sure. to vote at I, all. I mean, and there more, was a little... more Americans made that choice right. than chosen yes. a candidate. And I'm trying to show my kids as they each turn 18, I got six kids, so you need to get out and vote. But I don't really think that our vote for president really meant anything, but it's locally our vote matters. This is an interesting question, Mark. So is Annette's point that maybe this starts closer to home rather than the big national presidential election? Is is that perhaps where the shift begins? When I say the United States of America, how how we can bridge the partisan divide, I mean we. I don't mean them. 
I mean we, because what you pointed out is they are not going to bridge the partisan divide. And they don't live here. No, we, we live do. here. And I think each of us in our own work, in our own way we live, and the way we act as citizens can do that. And but then the question, Sandy, is, what, what the question Sandy, is, then how does that change politics? That's a question I don't think we're going to answer tonight. But, but if it I doesn't, want to answer it tonight. So, <laughs> because I, I hear Sandy saying, yes, but was a single mind changed, you know? Well, I don't think the issue for me is whether you're going to change your vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. You're changing your minds right here by listening to each other. And to me, that's where the change is going to start, because politicians pay attention to voters. And if voters start saying, oh, I'm sick of that kind of black, white, red, blue thing. I want somebody who's really going to solve a problem. Politicians listen to that. And suddenly they think, oh, I better start sounding like somebody who's going to solve a problem. So as a sole third party voter... The way this country is going, you know, back when I was in eighth grade, I supported the Green Party. But at that time, nobody – it was a very small amount of interest in third parties. However, the way this country is going, people are getting tired of voting for the two parties. The only thing that holds us all back is fear. So politicians use that fear. They say that if you vote for the third party, the other guy's going to win. Once we break out of that, we have many different choices – and we just need to have the courage to vote our conscience. But we, we can't break out of it. If you don't have a majority in, in the presidential election voting for one of the, one of the candidates, then the House of Representatives decides. So it, it just, it's structured to not allow more than two parties. So, I mean, I, I think the two-party system is ridiculous and crazy, and I don't know a way out of it. But, but I also think that politics is about more than who we vote for. It's about more than who we elect. It's about the, the work we do as citizens to make our communities a better place. That's politics too. And part of what I appreciate about this conversation and and why I am so glad that I have spaces like this to pop that bubble I keep talking about is because if I talk to other people who don't come from the same background as me or don't think like me or maybe who even voted for someone else, I'll find this common ground and we'll find solutions that I never would have found if I was just talking to the people who I always talk with. For me, it's... I, I reclu- I, go back into the communities that make me feel safe. And one thing that I keep hearing is, what is my obligation to myself? And then what is our obligation to each other? And I don't, I don't think I think about that very much. Like, the latter part. Yeah, what, what is my obligation to my community? How can I go back and serve my community? Because if we're saying that's where you can have the greatest impact, then that's where I want to be. Join a committee or, or do an interview, do yep. whatever it takes to get involved. I want to point out that we're having this conversation in a state whose uh, largest political class is not a Democratic one or a Republican one, but an unaffiliated. Now, all kinds of people are unaffiliated. They may be on the left. They may be on the right. They may be in the middle. But to what extent do you think unaffiliateds or true independents might play a role here? Mark? I think it's a very important category that hasn't been mentioned because – The truth is the largest percentage of voters are independent. They don't call themselves Republicans. They don't call themselves Democrats. They call themselves independents. And when I look around this room, I'm really seeing people who are very independent-spirited. You might lean left, you might lean right, but I feel a lot of independence in this room. That's the other way of looking at this, that there's a large block. If you are on the left or you are on the right, those independents are the people you want on your side. And how are you going to get them on your side? Well, you're going to get them on your side by, by singing a difference, making a different sound than the typical sound on the left and the right. Well, it's the million-dollar question. We faced it 
during our first breaking bread. Would you all be willing to come back around maybe Thanksgiving time and do this again? Yes. Yes. Sure. Sure. There it is. So more homemade soup and fresh bread in a few months as our civic experiment breaking bread continues. These Coloradans in search of political middle ground are Mehdi Khan of Aurora, who voted Green, Clinton supporters Brian Pacini, Kalinas Newsom, and Adam Brock, all of Denver, and Trump voters Annette Gonzalez of Pueblo, Sandy Russell of Palmer Lake, and Karina Gaylord of Arvada. We'd love to have you do an exercise similar to what the group just did. Head to CPRnews.org, where there is also an option to tell us how that exercise went for you. Today's show is produced by Andrea Dukakis, Meredith Turk, Kelly Griffin, and Matt Hers. I'm Ryan Warner, CPR News. <laughs>